Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild, USSF. I'm also a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and, you know, practicing boxing. So. Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist, instructor at Globe University, director of education for the Mindset Performance Institute, and a bunch of other stuff. How's, it, how's that Mindset Performance Institute going? Are you guys real active with stuff right now? or? Yeah, it's actually been going really good. So I'm doing more just the neurology type side of it um, than the research, you know, because you can, at least the nice part about being in this industry is you, if you don't know something, at least you hopefully at this point know that you don't know and you know who to contact and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's actually been going really well. There's all sorts of people now kind of talking about mindset, which I think is a, a good thing. And just the last sort of plug for it, too, is it's not... It's not in this sort of typical mindset, which is always very much, well, just think positive and rah, rah, rah. And I don't think any of that stuff really works long term unless you're already sort of motivated. Then it kind of gets you through the day. Um, But more, how do you change it on an unconscious level? So a lot more on the neurology, more brain side so that it's a, a constant thing and it's more of a permanent change, not this sort of, you know, I guess you could say more of a foo-foo type mindset of just in thinking positive. How do you actually create sort of a sustainable change long-term? Right. You know, my wife and I recently have been just listening to some, well, you know, my usual Science Friday stuff, but then workshops and stuff. And uh, yeah. I think the connection between w- what used to be very separate, you know, like even now we talk about biopsychosocial, like bio mm-hmm. and psycho are two very different things. But of course... They're the same thing in a lot of ways. I mean, on certain level, right? As you change your behaviors, different neural structures start to form or become more yep. permanent. And it starts to uh, – I really get the vibe from some of the mental health professionals that I've been exposed to lately that it's uh, – they're looking at psychology a lot more like a neurologist would, like a, a neuroanatomist almost would. Like what part of your brain is under secreting this or that neurotransmitter, you know, or – Uh, Ultimately, like when you make diet decisions, I was thinking about this just yesterday. Ultimately, whether it's leptin driving it or uh, insulin or whatever's, you know, in the background, low blood sugar, ultimately there is a neural switch that's a decision that's made to eat or not to eat. Do I put that cake in my mouth or do I not? You know, and it's fascinating when you start to break that down. I know Obama's trying to fund a lot of... uh, you know, brain mapping activities and all that sort of stuff. And uh, that'll be important for both, like, I think, rehab as we sort of merge with machines. I mean, Phil's about to merge with some metal, (laughs) (laughs) you know. But, I mean, on an electronic level, I've seen some crazy stuff lately about neural implants, electronic neural implants, like wet-wired into humans. And, uh, you know what I mean? So I think that the psychology-neurology connection is really coming of age. 
Yeah, and it's very interesting. You, like you mentioned, even like choices, how I think of it as, you know, from a physiology, more of a systems type level, you know, you've got sort of pressure you can put on the, the homeostatic side, you know, insulin, leptin, those kind of things, just the functions your body needs to run. You've got pressure you can put on the hedonic side, you know, it's all the a lot of advanced neural stuff in there too of why you know food is tasty and maybe obese people are more driven to the hedonic side and that type of thing and at the end of the day then like exactly what you said it comes down to how do people make that decision and what have they sort of associated those decisions with in the past and you know you see a lot of the sort of all or nothing you know type mindset and so i think trying to even just explain to people that you know maybe you have more pressure that your system puts on the hedonic side so food is maybe a little bit more tasty to you but at the end of the day it still comes down to an active decision you have to make and you know what triggers you know puts sort of more lack of a better word pressure on that you know system by having 12 dozen baked cookies on your counter it's gonna be a lot harder to resist them than if they're not actually there you know so different triggers and cues and all that kind of stuff yeah, no doubt. In fact, that's one of the things that I'm going to, as I try to lean down, uh, I'm changing goals. I figure I've built enough muscle mass over the years. I really don't see myself becoming a twig. So I'm going to focus on leanness. And like I said, it, just being aware of the moment you're making that decision. And yeah. I'm almost looking at it like a scientist, like, oh, that's curious. I'm, why am I holding this bag of whatever, you know, and <laughs> You know, and just I'm like, staring at the cover with the door open, and my hand still on the handle, looking mm-hmm. to see what is in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so now, obviously, Phil, what's on your mind is that merging with metal and machines and everything. So you go mm-hmm. in for your new hip on is it Tuesday? Tuesday, yep. So that's a big deal, probably. How's your? Oh yeah. We were talking before we hit record, but how's your mindset? It's good. It's good. Like I was telling you, I'm more. But I'm past it already. It's like let's just get it done because yeah. it's hard for me. I'm at that point where it's like, man, why am I even training? They're just going to knock me back. But yeah. you know, I keep going in. I'll go in this morning and train again. But I'm ready to be in that recovery mode. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm already like wiping PRs clean. And you know, I was joking. You know, those thermometers you see when they're doing like fundraising things. Oh right. So like United Way, I'm going to put up a big one in the gym with everybody's name on it, and I'm going to slowly pass all of them. that's that's beautiful arrogance kind of it'll start off with like my daughter you know and just move all the way up your uh, daughter that's funny you know it's just you know just different mindset and I mean I'm the good thing is I've been through things like this you know not this big but I've been through some some rehabs and stuff where I have just you have to get in that mindset where you can't beat yourself up over what you used to be able to do and you have to look at yesterday I couldn't walk Today I can squat myself, you know, and it, so it's just setting new PRs, and you got to right. totally wipe that slate clean. I can't, you know, look back and say, man, three months ago I was squatting six hundred for reps, and now I'm not yeah. doing anything. That's you're just going to beat yourself up. So, oh, uh, absolutely. In fact, you know, you know that that's a good uh, segue uh, for after the break. But we're going to talk about uh, to whom do you compare yourself, and I think uh, oftentimes a wise lifter will say, well, I'm going to compare myself to my prior performance but that depends on your physical state in your prior performance you know what i mean if it was before an injury or before osteoarthritis or whatever yeah that's sort of folly then to compare yourself too far back you have to that's why you change your goal you know i don't know i think the honorable thing is to always keep striving at something fighting at something 
For sure. You and know? I mean, that's another reason why I started this whole boxing thing. I mean, I suck at it now. I'm better than I was a month ago, but I'll still suck at it when I'm out of surgery. It gives me something to shoot for. It's totally different than what I've been doing. So, right, yeah. You know, I, I can get better at something new for a while. You know, right. get myself a year doing that. And while I'm doing that, just rehabbing my hip. And so, yeah. one thing you've noticed too, I'm sure, as you talked about last time, is that you can get better at, you know, sort of a lack of a better word, conditioning type yeah. things faster than you can get better at <clears throat> strength in general. You know, so you can see a little bit more day to day, you know, progress. And I'm sure you know that not going to you know wait on the hip as much while you're doing the recovery and all that kind of stuff too so yep and right on. you know i mean my first prs are going to be like mobility and things mm-hmm. like that so um yeah no I'm, I'm ready for it man i'm ready to get in there i mean so. all right um switch gears a little we've already touched on leptin once uh and actually mike you and i actually saw one of the guys that was a key discoverer you know, of Leptin, Freeman, when we were in... Yeah, uh, he was at the conference. conference. I got there a day late and missed him, but I know you were able to see him. So check this out. Uh, this is a trending bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, this is from, let's see, a couple of different sources. Cell, uh, that's a very high-end journal. Uh, World Health Organization, WebMD. There's several sources for this. I got this through my Lab Roots uh, news channels, but... It says, a drug that can treat obesity, and I seem to be bringing this up all the time. The scientists are always trying to find a drug that defeats obesity, you know, but uh, this says, a global epidemic, 2.8 million people dying each year from the complications of obesity, etc. So everybody knows it's big business, and that's why these biopharma kinds of scientists are falling over each other to come up with a pill. And you know what? I almost hope there is no pill that just straight up replaces exercise. That would make me sad. But I could see pros and cons. It says research efforts to treat obesity have recently focused on the hormone leptin discovered 20 years ago uh, to be associated with feeling fuller after a meal, you know, um, being associated with body weight set point, etc. A study from Harvard Medical School was recently shown or has recently shown that there is promise for treating leptin resistance and thus obesity using a small molecule that can increase leptin sensitivity. Uh, the molecule is an extract from the thunder god vine. I like it already. Oh, must be good. It must be good. <laughs> um, an herb long used in traditional Chinese medicine to treat a variety of things. Um, Umut Ozcan is a leader of the study. Uh, basically, they're focused on finding these small molecules that can increase leptin sensitivity. They focused on food intake, body mass, and leptin levels in lean mice, diet-induced obese mice, and genetically obese mice. Hmm. And uh, Dr. Nelson knows where I'm going to go with this. You're going to see some effects on the lean mice and the diet-induced obese mice, but not the genetically obese mice, right? They, uh, it says, it's published in, uh, recently in the journal Cell. Ozkin discovered that celestrol, C-E-L-A-S-T-R-O-L, celestrol suppresses food intake, blocks the reduction in energy expenditure, and can lead to a 45% weight loss in obese mice. It says it successfully increased leptin sensitivity in both the lean mice and the diet-induced obese mice, but had no effect on the genetically obese mice so i i think it might sensitize you but 
if your receptors are that bent or broken <laughs> because you're born with a polymorphism that they just don't respond, um, apparently the thunder god vine in this celestial can't really help. It says these results are good news for those looking for an obesity treatment. Uh, they're going to keep looking at it, uh, etc. Now, I mentioned this to Phil before we hit the record button, but watch the dietary supplement world fall all over oh, Thunder yeah. God Vine now. Yep. You know. Um, yeah, and what's interesting about that, too, and I don't know the, the botanical availability of it or anything like that. I haven't researched it, but a lot of times what you'll see is something that, like, Hoodia was real popular several years ago, and mm-hmm. basically the raw materials for that dried up pretty fast but companies were still marketing it years after it was you know pretty not really in the supply chain really to buy oh, so i didn't know that hmm. yeah. yeah i think it's better now but there's certain herbs you'll see that all of a sudden become hugely popular overnight and you know they're always the the ones that have the, the fancy names that are you know not really produced that much anyway um so then the supply usually kind of dwindles pretty fast but it's yeah <laughs> right you know let me give a reference to everybody this was may 24th 2015 by jennifer ellis if you wanted to go look e-l-l-i-s she's just the the reporter that's reporting on it but hey it makes me curious like you said though i'm always wondering about the bioavailability of some of these herbs you know herbs and botanicals seem to be the new thing yeah. we've sort of exhausted a lot of the other you know components of your metabolism um different compounds like that nutrients so we're going for the like the back door uh to the pharmaceuticals you know and going to these plant extracts and as i was saying last week actually in our pre-recorded show it seems like every botanical helps lower blood sugar or helps your blood cholesterol and blood triglycerides or you know what i mean but so much of this I think is about bioavailability, and of course, companies are mixing it with all these absorption enhancers, trying to deal with it. Who knows where it's going to go? But Thunder Godvine, uh, interesting in the news. Yeah, and that that kind of matches. I know Testosterone Nation or T Nation had a an article I wrote a, a while back on I think it was thirty seconds to leanness, where I talked about a study where they had done basically just one uh, thirty second sprint interval. And in humans, actually showed that it seemed to restore some of the leptin uh, signaling effects. Um, but what's interesting is that if you gave carbohydrates um, before that same interval, they did not see the same effect. Um, and I haven't seen any more, you know, follow-up work on that. And mm-hmm. granted, they didn't look at body comp over the long term or anything like that. But um, it was pretty interesting. Hopefully, we'll see maybe some more. Human research on that. There's a bunch of stuff now on, you know, fasted versus non-fasted training and carbohydrate availability and those types of things. But uh, hopefully we'll see something like that with more, you know, dietary and exercise interventions that maybe in humans or something we can target via that too. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about what genes are getting turned on or off or, you know, yeah, what's being sensitized, whether it's light-dark cycle or the the stimulus of lifting i mean that creates a a different whole different window you know we talk about all this temporal nutrition exercise timing and a lot of the gene stuff it's just sort of giving mechanisms to things that we already know like it's not going to shock phil uh, or i just if we were to say listen a lot of power lifters bodybuilders or you might that they go do some fasted walking in the morning or they walk uphill on a treadmill get ready for a show you know, 
it probably works. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, and again, do you have to fast? Maybe you don't. Maybe, you know, maybe some people do and others don't because of genetic differences. I don't know. Yeah. yeah especially now with the new metabolomic gene arrays, you can run just, you know, even for, a, I'd say, like a mechanistic type study, you can have it be open-ended, right? And say, we're going to do maybe some type of sprint training interval, and we're just going to run all these gene arrays to see what actually gets turned on. And I think those are fascinating because you see other parts of the system get turned on that you may not have thought about. And then you can run a, a more specific trial to see, okay, what exactly is going on? But it's kind of cool that you can do that now and get sort of a, a much bigger picture. I think historically exercise fizz, you know, that's why there was always all the endurance training type stuff. Well, because labs had a, a treadmill in the early metabolic heart, so it was too hard to measure lifting type stuff. You know, so we always tend to, I think, focus on what we can measure. Now that we can measure and look from a much bigger picture, I think we'll get a lot more uh, system-wide ideas and things to investigate, too. Yeah, and, you know, at the same time, I think what I've kind of come full circle. First, I was almost an apologist. I felt sort of bad that I wasn't molecular enough, you know, but <laughs> you see some of these, and like that, I keep thinking about that article you sent around years ago, Mike, about how, systems biology is effed, you know, because (laughs) it's so reductionist. So you turn a gene on or you see the messenger RNA from it, you know, the message going out to the cell to, you know, make this or that protein. But does that mean you're going to have bigger biceps 12 weeks from now? You don't know unless you actually just go do some simple training study. You know, um, it is interesting, though, to know the mechanism, you know. Yeah, that's what we talked about in Japan, too, that a lot of I think the very interesting questions that apply to a lot of the listeners here are very simple trials to do. I mean, simple in terms of, you know, setup and that type of thing. Or equipment. Not yeah. necessarily easy to execute from time and money and that type of thing, but you don't need Bayesian statistics to answer a lot of the questions we're asking. It's just, you know, better questions and then, you know, getting someone to run it. Right. Clever. Yeah. Clever questions, you know. Yeah. yeah like, you know, I think Brad Schoenfeld's doing some of that stuff. Honestly, yeah, like you said, a lot of cool stuff. Fit, fed versus fasting. How do you? Who gets leaner over six weeks? You know, yeah. or lifting four days a week versus three. Is there a difference? Uh, you know, it can be pretty straightforward with something as simple as a tape measure around someone's biceps, for God's sake. You know, or yeah. skin folds, or I don't know if, if it's long enough. If the study's long enough. All right. So. That's pretty much what I've got in the news. I guess we can go to break here. Uh, We'll come back. I want to set up our discussion about to whom do you compare yourself, uh, partly because I was looking at some other fitness magazines, and something sort of jumped out out at me, good and bad. And I thought, you know, let's talk about something that's actually a little bit more meaningful than, you know, the traditional fitness fair. Uh, So we'll be back in a bit. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. 
And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So. Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers? They allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me, and some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts, but we need help to get the message out. If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated, but if you could put forward $25 or more and email robertfortney at hotmail.com about it, We'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey everyone, we are back. It's uh, Lonnie Lowry, Mike Nelson, and Phil Stevens, and... We're going to tackle the topic, uh, to whom do you compare yourself? Uh, partly this came up because I was looking at some fitness magazines, and uh, I've bitched about this before, but I was sort of getting, you know, tired of that very rote, formulaic approach. You know, three mistakes that all experienced lifters make, or four reasons everyone should deadlift. You know, it's always the very similar kind of thing. Then... 
uh, I came across a blog from Chris Shugart, and it was basically about, uh, you know, what's the most recent cult that you're joining? I think there's some CrossFit undertones with what he's writing about, you know, but as opposed to thinking for yourself, you know, and, and I started thinking about, you know, now that's a real discussion, you know what I mean? Like this cultish nature and the sociology of it and uh, decision making and, and so rather than just talk about four ways to improve your bench, and I think there's some neat things to explore in that area if that's not all you do, but I thought we could have a discussion about self-comparisons. You know, like I didn't even get uh, through Chris's article, but his blog post, but basically um, I'm thinking, well, are, do people compare themselves to, to peers in the cult? Is there a ringleader? You know, and and that sort of thing. So, and especially Phil, with your surgery coming up and everything, I mean, your life's going to change, right? So, I I think the standard wise response from a lot of powerlifters and probably bodybuilders too, or strongmen, would be, well, I think it's healthiest to compare myself not to others but to my prior best, mm-hmm. right? So, what are your thoughts on that? Like, if if indeed that is the wisest thing to do, is compare yourself to yourself. Why is that wise, and can it ever be unwise? Yeah, geez, I deal with this daily with clients because you know I'll have a guy come in and like I had somebody yesterday, one of my newer guys, he's been with me about six months, came in and squatted. We're getting him ready for a meet, and he squatted six hundred for three, and it was like, oh, it was like it was one thirty-five. Wow! And uh, one of my other guys is searching for his first five hundred, and he's been with me a couple months longer. And it's like, man, why can't I do that? I was like, well, you're not him. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about a guy who had an NFL pro day and played collegiate football. He's freaking six four, three sixty. You know, and it's like he's just he's just built for this. And I mean, anybody who got an NFL pro day has has worked hard, so uh, he's right. got a big base built. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's good to look up to people. I mean, but you can't compare. You know, yeah, you might get there. You know, is what I tell him. You just got to be patient. You know. Four months ago, you couldn't squat 315. Now you're squatting 450. So, you know, you're making progress. But, yeah, I mean, I think you got to compare to yourself. I also really like comparing to others, but you have to keep it in a, I mean, just as something to look up to. I mean, I think everybody should aim. You should have very high lofty goals. I'm a fan of lofty goals that you may not reach. Yeah. But you yep. need a bunch of little goals, too, along the way. I mean, so... Right. I mean, it's now, okay. We're in this weird society. It's okay to not make it. You know, the the process and the the fun is in the striving to do something great. You know, and I mean, I've never lifted eight hundred pounds yet off the floor. Right. But I have a blast trying. You know? Yeah, those <laughs> so, are words of wisdom. You know, value you know, the journey. You know. Yeah. I mean, I had it four inches from lockout with no belt. So, and you know, a lot of people haven't done that. And how did I do that? By consistently getting better. There By striving I, for it. Yeah. yeah. And there was a point where I couldn't pick up 500 or 600, but you know, and I was able to get up about 780, you know? Right. Yeah. There's genetic yeah. things at work. There's social things. There's psychological things, you know, and that, like you said, that's why it becomes sort of folly to compare yourself to others, I think. But ultimately you have to choose a level of competition. Yes. Uh, and that means comparison. I mean, bodybuilding, that's literally what you hope for, right, is to be pulled out for early comparisons when you're on the stage, you know. So let me pose this one to you, Dr. Nelson. So how do you choose, 
your level of competitions. I know you compete in a variety of things. You're, you use the variety principle a lot, you know, with yeah. your exercise choices <laughs> and what you compete in and all that sort of thing. So how do you choose what you choose? Because obviously you don't want to shoot so, so, so loftily from a com- competitive standpoint that you, I don't know, you just punish yourself and feel stupid, you know, but at the same time, yeah, how do you pick your level of comp- competition? Yeah, I think that it's it's a fine line. So, like, the the strongman competition I did last year was just, you know, a local event, was just, you know, the novice class. And literally my whole goal was I want to finish each event. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, mm-hmm. and it it's interesting, and, and you guys know this with strongman, even, you know, the novice stuff is definitely downgraded from, you know, where the other top guys are for sure. But it's not like uh, powerlifting where you can start wherever because powerlifting, you pick what loads you want. Where powerlifting or um, strongman, even on the novice division, there's still a set weight and you're just, you know, maybe it's axle clean and press and you're doing it for reps or farmer's walks or whatever. So I remember looking at the the loads and some of the stuff you just, you know, don't have the ability to, to practice. You know, like literally for the the frame lift i had done farmer's walks but i had never done a frame you know and you get there at the event and i wasn't able to get there ahead of time and they're like all right frames next and you don't know what order it's in because they reverse the order a lot of times like you got five minutes to warm up so everyone walks over the frame's already loaded it was i don't know 500 or 475 or something like that and i'm like i don't know can i even pick it up much less walk with it so my warm-up was oh i deadlifted once they're like all right everyone ready (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was a brand new frame that they had just painted the handles and everything on so the grip on it was by far like the worst thing Mm -hmm. but so i tell people that just you know even like with powerlifting i did a little bit of that in the past my my squad was just horrible but you know to do the only meat they had was a full meat so i'm Mm -hmm. like okay and so i remember doing the squat (laughs) and the announcer's like all right Plenty deep because I was like five inches below parallel. <laughs> but, you know, that was the thing. If you wanted to, that was the only meat that was around at that time. So I guess the biggest thing is I just tell people to, you know, pick something that they, you know, know is right around where that they can be competitive at. And then also, you know, just know it's the, the first one you're going to do. There's a whole bunch of stuff you're not going to be able to predict. You know, stuff's going to, you know, the tires they had were you know, I've done a 650 one before. It was pretty easy, and the 520 one they had was just an awkward shape and horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't get the last flip on that one. But mm-hmm. you know, you learn those kind of things, and you learn and just kind of move forward from there. And I tell people just do what you can, and you know, pick something that you know I think was within your range, and you know, try it. You know, it's yeah, right, yeah. The um, the point that I think Phil made about reaching for something very lofty um that's what my brother and i used to do we were talking about before i hit record but we were outgrowing some of the guys in the little local gym but we never really took them that seriously i guess it sounds a little arrogant but i would at the time you know fortress and i would we'd be backstage at pro bodybuilding events or you know i was certainly in and out because i had press passes and stuff for working with different magazines and backstage at different levels and you sort of get a feel for 
how you can compare to, you know to some of these guys even if it's just like height and weight you know like i actually weigh a lot more than that guy and he's my height you know that sort of mm-hmm. thing um and we would always compare ourselves to very lofty uh guys but never with serious uh, the serious thought to compete against them you know mm-hmm. like national competitors or guys at the junior national level in bodybuilding those guys were beyond me you know and obviously you're making certain choices like there's only a certain level of supplementation or pharmacy that a lot of people are willing to go to you mm-hmm. know and that sort of caps where you go in bodybuilding to be honest i mean i know some people might argue otherwise but i would say that you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't just work harder and longer and be a national competitor. That's not, you know, there's pharmacy at work there, and that's just simple physiology and pharmacology. Uh, but anyway, that's so, also being realistic, though, yes. too, you know, because you're looking at, to me, like comparisons are looking at other people to see, wow, this guy did this, and they're kind of similar to me. So that's possible. Right. That's not for you to go, wow, I feel like a horrible, utter failure now because I'm not anywhere close to that. You know, so I think how people perceive that can determine if it's going to be a positive or possibly a negative. Right. Or like a motivator, you know. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, as a me speaking from a coach's aspect, I mean, that's like the, the Trojan horse in the room. (laughs) <laughs> it's the yeah. the whole pharmacology and the let's we can just call it supplementation or whatever you want to call it you know i mean i deal with it all the time and i mean that's what i have to deal with with clients is you know it depends on what you're willing to do yeah, and let's say that. i have a girl you know that sends me a picture says you know one of my figuring betters this is what i want to look like it's like great okay not going to tell you it's impossible we need to sit down and have a talk you know <laughs> what are you willing to do you know, and that's just part of it. That's it's in powerlifting, it's in bodybuilding, it's in strongman, it's in whatever. And it's like, I mean, and I'm not one to judge. You know, I, you don't hang around the people I've hung around with and deal with what I've dealt with without having to deal with that. You know, and that's just yeah. part of coaching. Yeah, and that's also why you know, I mean, there's different meets. You know, there's a reason I love bringing my kids to AAU. I know yeah. it's going to be a level playing field, and that's where those kids should be. You yeah. know, and I have other people that I won't take there. Yeah, you know, no, right. So, right. And it's just like, sorry, dude. You know, we're not going there. That's not where you belong. Well, you want people to meet. You, know? you want people to meet with success, like earn success to be a positive yeah. motivator. But yeah, if somebody, if you're out of someone's league, you know, because yes. of it's pharmaceutical, like that's the only thing that really bothered me ever. Like in in the bodybuilding arena, in an open event, you know, if somebody comes in and just crushes everybody because they're the only person who's decided to use GH at that level, and you're like, God, you look incredible. And like Mike said, it's how you perceive it. I mean, you can be salty about it and hateful, or you can yeah. be like, God, you look incredible. I won't, I don't want to do that. But yeah. God, rip glutes, man, and your striated quads are nuts, you yeah. know, and sort of look at it like uh, a motivator of what's possible uh, in the human body. I mean, with certain help you know mm-hmm. uh but at the same time what I, the only thing that ever really bothered me would be that when you get some huge guy who clearly is dabbling or more and <laughs> he'd come in and compete in yeah. like a natural show and you're like dude you're yes. not natural i don't know why you feel good about this because yes, you're exactly. a coward you yeah. know and that's what i that's what i hate that's the only part i hate but i mean coming back to the topic i mean like like mike talking about strongman and that's where i started uh, in strength sports and of course, I always looked up. You, you, it was on ESPN all the time then. 
Yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah. you look at those guys, but then again, you have to be realistic. It's like I don't have. I'm not six four, three fifty. I won't be. Yeah. You know, but I can still look at them and look up to them. And say, hey, I want to try to do that. I want to. I want to push to be as good as them, given my, you know, what my parents gave me. Right. Yeah. You know. So I mean, that's one thing I push people to do. It's like okay, that's one of the benefits of the internet now. Let's find somebody who's built like you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do that with my Olympic lifters because a lot of them will be looking at these Chinese lifters throwing it. It's like, okay, yeah, but you're not four <laughs> two, and your legs aren't sixteen inches long. <laughs> right, you're you're six one with big long femurs. So let's look for somebody built like you, right. and then we can emulate that. <laughs> well, you know, on some level, you want to be good. I've heard you say this before, Phil. And I've I always had this philosophy when I was you know, 20s and 30s and even early 40s is I want to be good, you know, Mm -hmm. so it helps to actually like and compare uh, to others in something that you're probably good at, like Mm -hmm. powerlifting. I remember once Frank Zane said, I'm just not built for it. And I often think that way, like, you know what I mean? It was a heroic effort for me to get a couple of reps in the mid to upper 400s in the squat. That's not going to impress any powerlifter, but in bodybuilding, I had little joints. You know what I mean? I Nothing's really out of whack proportion-wise. It was just something I was probably born for a little bit more. You know what I mean? So I think that sometimes helps, too, because you don't want to constantly set yourself up for failure, like you said, by comparing yourself to an Olympic lifter, and your body proportions are nothing like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, it'd be like me stepping on a bodybuilding stage. I mean, my, my clients, like, jokingly call me the trunk. I am. I'm like a tree on stilts, right? You know, I, when, right. I, when I got down to 165, I still had like a 34 inch waist. It's like, sorry, I'm never going to have that, you know, right. that look. Yeah, and so. you know, I think it can be good too. Um, it's sort of like smart comparisons, you know, like I don't know. So it gives someone with smaller joints um, a way to participate in in strength sports, muscle sports, maybe if you want to call it that. Because yeah, when I heard a couple of months ago, it might have been a year ago. They were talking about strongmen, and they said 400 is the new 300. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You know, we're out of control. I mean, you know what I mean? Holy crap, 400. Because you know, you're talking about seeing these guys. I've mentioned it before, but they're like, this guy is 6'2", 275. He's the runt of the litter. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> you can't even wrap your head around that, you know? Uh, so it, it would be folly to try to compete to be like, when I talk about wanting to be good, I think it's a good idea to choose. It's like Sun Tzu, you know, choose battles you've already won in a sense, or at least you're going to do well in, as opposed to. Now, at the flip side of that, I'd love to try strongman. You know, like uh, like Mike was saying, at a very novice level, just almost like bucket list kind of thing. You know, I just that looks fun. I'd like to try it, uh, but it's never going to be the main sport that I chose for my lifting career because I'm. I'm nowhere near 300, let alone 400, you know, so. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't try it. And, I mean, I think it comes back down to there's there's this weird, like, fear of failure nowadays. Yeah. People are just afraid to, to not be good right off the bat. And it's like, I mean, that'd be like me quitting the first time I was like my, my coach said, okay, we're going to spar. And he literally 10 seconds in punched me in the face. And yeah. <laughs> he'd be like, okay, I quit. I suck. You know, well, no, it, you've been doing it for 10 seconds. Yeah. So block that next one. Bouncing you back, know? right? The, I once heard a very great piece of advice. Um, it was at a graduation ceremony of all places from a businessman, and he said the people who bounce back the fastest 
with a positive attitude mm-hmm. win. Those are the guys yeah. who get ahead, the ones who bounce back. So you get punched in the face. You're like, you shake it off and you focus and you just keep getting back up. I actually yeah. sometimes I think about this sounds funny, but and I know most of our listeners don't watch cartoons. But as my son was growing up, the Naruto cartoon, it's, you know, anime. And the one feature this kid had. That the others did not. I mean, he had some special powers, dormant powers and this and that. But he always got back up, you know. Or like Batman's dad says, why do we fall down, Bruce, to teach us to get back up? And I think that's the salient feature of anybody who succeeds. It's a good point about the – if you. so what if you're not 400 pounds? I mean, there's some strong men who are much smaller. We've had them on the show. You know, what makes them a champion is that they keep bouncing back and they become awesome in their at their level or at their, um, I don't know, uh, class. You know what I mean? As far as comparisons. I mean, so. look at who was it? So if we keep talking about strongman, Zavikas. You know, for years he, he only won the Arnold, but he kept working. He kept yeah. working. He kept now. Oh, okay. Now he's winning the. You know, he got better at moving. You know. Yeah. yeah. Now he's yeah. winning the world's strongest man, and you know things like that. So I mean, and that's where I really like. It's okay to, for me to look and say, man, I want to squat like Ed Cohn, and I may never. I won't. Let's just put it there. I'll never squat that. But you know, I'm not going to squat what he did, and you know, I've got things against me. But I can, I can look up to that and be motivated as a, by it. Yeah. It'd be motivated by it and shoot for it. And guess what? You know, I squatted 650. I just missed 700. You know, by looking, trying to get better and push towards that, you know, I went from a, right. I, wherever I started, which was probably the bar, to 700 over time. And, you know, I right. did that by looking up to this, but then also looking back at myself. Okay, you squatted 135, let's get 155. Okay, you're at 155, let's go 185. Yeah. You know, the minute I got 600 deadlift, okay, I want seven. It's sort of like perfection, (laughs) you know, you perfection is something you pursue but it's folly to think you're ever going to achieve it you know like you dude i mean a 650 700 pound squat that's effing heroic you know (sighs) and is it a thousand pounds like eddie you know did at his prime no but that was the a motivator that let you you know what i mean see Mm -hmm. like the realm of possibility yes and i mean then you know you'll get in the whole big fish in the little pond thing of course and i think the only reason i think i got good at this by looking up to other people and then also just being very internally focused on myself getting better because I trained alone for so long. So I had nothing to look uh. up to except for that. So I trained in my garage. It was by myself. And now I go to the gym and, you know, I'm lucky in that I have people stronger than me in certain lifts now. But a lot of times I'm the strongest. So what do I do? Like I'm training with Mark the other day and we're squatting together. All right. Well, he did 315 for two against you know strong bands in a squat well i got to do at least six you know yeah yeah so and that's not saying anything bad on him that's saying i got to go to my level you know and for me to be this good i've got to go but that's going to push him you know he's well, like, well i want to do six there's so much well, variety let's get back to work you know? right i think there's so much <laughs> variety in strength and muscle sports that you can always find something that frankly you're best at yeah. like you know, you're talking about maybe not having tiny waist in bodybuilding or proportions. Or there are some people who just go for brutal muscularity and and size. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, maybe that's what you overpower some of that. You know, any potential flaws because you're actually just bigger than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, or like you were saying in certain lifts, or there's always something I think that you can kind of 
own, you know, take ownership in that. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm well, best at this one, you know. It's also turning you got to flip failure to a positive. You know, and I try and do that. I mean, if somebody beats me in something, well, there's my chance. Okay, that's my drive now. Okay, I'm going to get better and beat you. You know, <laughs> or people are afraid of failing, so they don't even try something. No, I'm afraid of failing, so I'm going to try harder. <laughs> you know, I'm going to yeah. use that. I don't want this guy to beat me, so I'm going to give everything I got, you know, right. and that pushes me to get better, <clears throat> you know. And I there's mean, a mindset. I don't want to, you know, I'm going to box somebody in 11 months. And it sounds like it's going to be Jason Pegg. Do I want to get knocked out? No. And there's a big case that one of us, I mean, if you look at super heavyweight boxing, it's usually not a 12-round match. It ends up with one big <laughs> dude on the ground, and there's a good chance one of us is going to get knocked out. Am I okay with that? Yeah, if it happens, it happens. And I'll learn from it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the dude that's knocked out. <laughs> but right. And I'm going to try everything I can not to, but you know, there's a possibility to happen. And that's okay, because I'll get up, and I'll learn from it. You know, right. I think failure is just part of a learning process, you know, and you know, this feeling <clears throat> too from it's amazing how many people will be like doing a deadlift for the first time. It's usually women who've never deadlifted before, and they're usually very easy to teach because they don't have any bad habits and stuff. But anytime you teach any, especially older adults, a new lift, I've lost track of how many times they're like, oh, but I'm not very good at it. I'm like, no, you're not. You, how many reps did you just do? Two in your whole life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why? Why would you be really good at it? You know, there, there's no reason to expect that you're going to be awesome at it because you just started. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people are afraid of going out and failing when that's just perfectly, you know, normal. If you look at you know sporting events, so I did a lot of windsurfing and kiteboarding. I got the crap kicked out of me windsurfing for like a week straight. Just before I even really got on the board and went anywhere, yeah, you know. But that's you talk to other people; they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I went through the same thing too," mm-hmm. you know. So even mm-hmm. the people who are really good at it, they all went through a similar process. Granted, not quite as long, um, but I think if you just you know sort of the the old adage of you know fail forward as fast as possible, mm-hmm. you know, how can you sort of minimize the impact of each smaller failure? Right? Obviously, with lifting, you don't want to get hurt or anything like that, but your initial reps are not going to be the most beautiful looking things ever, you know, and you have to go through that process. Obviously you're going to use less weight. So you minimize the risk and that's just part of the normal learning process too. I think people get too much in their head and they want to try to skip through that whole process right away. And that's just unrealistic. You know, their reps maybe don't look as nice as they would think they should, and then they get frustrated, and then they just kind of quit. You know, I think on some level, and there's pros and cons, there always are, but I think rank beginners, it might be better, and you guys may or may not agree, but it might be better to compare yourself to that pie-in-the-sky guy on the cover of a magazine or the Eddie Cone or I don't know who the the big guys are in, like, uh, you know, some of the kiteboarding and that sort of stuff, but... You know, be, be wowed by their amazing physiques or performance uh, as a motivator. You know what I mean? Not beating yourself up because you're not like that. Because yeah. I agree very much that, I mean, there's this, uh, I've actually said to my son before, listen, if you want to become intermediate at something enough that I think you really own it, we're talking about two years, I think, yeah. you know, of ongoing practice, weekly practice in some way. You know, like when he skateboarded, or when he was doing soccer when he was very little, I'd always say more time with your feet on the board, more time with your feet on the ball, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I don't know. To me, it's a safe comparison to compare yourself to some hero almost at earlier stages because they can motivate you, but they're so far out of your league that you're not really feeling hurt. You know, there's a difference between failure and feeling emotionally hurt by something, you know. And so you can compare yourself. I mean, how many young men look at the cover of muscle magazines and are totally stoked by what they see? You know, there's these gods that descended from Olympus sort of (laughs) on the cover of these magazines. They're clearly not within the normal realm of humans, and yet they can be incredibly motivating to help you get through your bench workout or something yeah. like that. As long as you don't imitate their 99 well, sets. Just, as long as you don't get frustrated by it. Like, God, man, he can do this. I can't. Well, who cares? Right. You, know? yeah, right. you can do it's more than you did person. yesterday. I mean, and that was, you know, my deal is like, you know, I just kept chugging away. And eventually a neat thing happened. It was like I started beating these people I looked up to. You know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, there was a, you know, one of the fun meets is when I missed that. You know, taking away, bringing a positive spin to a failure. Uh, the meat that I just missed, 800, above the knee. You know, I got it mid-frickin'-thigh and couldn't lock it out. Oh, yeah. Well, here comes Mark Bell, you know, somebody I consider a friend now. And at that point, I didn't know him very well, and it was somebody to look up to. You know, he had trained at Elite Fitness and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And Westside Barbell. He goes to attempt it and doesn't crack it off the floor. You know, I oh, like, I mm-hmm. got that shit to mid thigh. You know, that, that's and right. I wasn't wearing a suit, and I didn't have a belt. You know, it's like look at that. It you feels know, good I, to be you competitive. Know, you know, it's like I've, I failed, but yeah, goddamn, I, I you know I beat somebody that a lot of other people look up to. Yeah, you know, I see a lot and, of um, honor in just being competitive. Like if once you are intermediate or better, you know, um, like I never wanted to get on a stage with some of these guys and just stand there in the corner and never be called out at all. I just wanted to be a threat, you know, because I, again, in open competition, some of these guys are on all kinds of stuff, and I wanted to be able to, I don't want to say threaten them, because that sounds negative, but just like you with Mark, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, you're earning respect because you got that off the floor further than he did, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I looked at that, like, with some of these guys that were um, heavily, you know, hormonally enhanced, and I'm like, you know, I'm second place in a lineup of 22 guys or third, even if it was third or fourth. Yeah. Like, am I winning at all? No. But I felt great about that because my goal was to head in there and actually be competitive, to com- yes. to compare favorably. You know what I mean? And you feel good about that. And then you can feel good about the guy who does maybe win that because he did something, you know, equally heroic. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so. and that's what people forget. I mean – before Michael Jordan ever won a championship, he got beat a lot. You know? Yeah. And that's going to happen. No matter what you go into, you're going to lose. You're probably going to lose way more times than you ever won. You know, something big. You're, you're just going to, it's going to happen. And you have to go through that before you ever do win. And you got to just be okay with it, learn from it, move on. Right, and yeah. I mean, I tell that, like all my clients, I have no higher hope for them than to, I want you all to beat everything I've ever done. Absolutely. Now, am I going to let yeah. you? Am I just going to sit back and let you? No. Right. I'm going to push myself That's harder. That's right. <laughs> but let's, I want you to get up here with me, because that pushes me harder, and then I want you to pass me, and then I'll chase you. Whatever. You know, it's right. just, it pushes everybody in the gym, and I think we build a good atmosphere with that. There's like, bravery in that, you know. There is. I mean, and the best way to get better is to have somebody come up and just knock you down, and then, but you got to stand back up. And, you know what, Phil? And take it back. In martial arts, I've had a couple different instructors that are like that. Some of these guys get quite old, and because their skill level is so high, 
they mix it up in tournaments. I mean, they are all it's like leading from the front. You know, yeah. you're not you're not just directing from the back lines. You're leading from the front. And these guys yeah. will mix it up with much younger people, stronger people, that sort of stuff. And probably as has been the case in your gym, you know, nine times out of ten, the leader guy, he's going to kick your ass. Yeah. Uh, but he's out there exposing himself to that. And that's, like I said, that's brave and admirable, you know, and I, I don't know. It, that's the kind of person you want to compare yourself to, I would think. Yeah. You know. I keep going back to boxing. It's because I'm doing it now. It's a new sport to me. But, I mean, you know, I have I have a sparring partner now that's my, he's my conditioning partner. We'll call it that. And, you know, we're great because both of us, the, the hardest part in sparring is finding somebody that doesn't get pissed off when they get hit and then turn it into a street fight. Oh, so, absolutely. Yes. You know, yep. So we're both good at that. And but I mean, I am bad and he is not good, you know, but it's great for our conditioning. But the only way I can get better is to get in the ring with my coach or somebody better that is just going to literally stomp me. You know? Yeah, <laughs> because if I keep practicing with a guy that's, you know, at my level or lower than my level, well, I'm not going to get any higher. I'm going to get real good at beating up the small fish. You know, I need to get in there yeah. with somebody considerably better than me so I can learn. So I can get hit hit in the face 42 times, but I'm going to block number 43 because I just learned something. Right. <sighs> you know, I've actually heard you learn more through a failure than you do through yeah. an easy oh, success, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I think people miss out on, too, is that whether it's, you know, strongman, bodybuilding, whatever. I mean, all the sports I've seen are people I've been around, you know, especially at a local and even a national level. If you're if you choose to do those things, which in generally are, are hard, right? I mean, compared to the mass population, there's only a small fraction of people that are even going to attempt those things. Mm -hmm. And 99.9% of the people I've ever met that are associated with it, if you show up at, to a competition and they can tell that you're trying hard, maybe your form's off, maybe you're kind of a mess otherwise, everyone I've ever met is like super helpful, you know, because they know, they can see that, that you you know have the cojones to show up and compete mm -hmm. and you may not be the best at it and they were probably at a similar place and everything so yeah everyone i've ever met has been you know super helpful super encouraging oh yeah um but i think people on the outside looking in they see it as very competitive and it almost i don't think they realize that they're actually extremely helpful Mm -hmm. um, which I think once they get into it, they're like, oh, wow, these aren't so big, scary guys. They actually really want to help me, you know? <laughs> right, right. I think that's comparing yourself in reverse, sort of. Like, yeah. if if any of us saw some 16-year-old struggling, but he was really trying in the gym, you know, with a lift, yeah. maybe he's doing it wrong, whatever, we're definitely going to see a bit of ourselves, maybe, you know, and we're going to make that, like, it's almost like a reverse comparison. Like, let me show you how to do that, bud. Yeah. You know, because... Well, and this... This goes into everything. I mean, it goes into coaching, too. I mean, I, I'm i a good coach. I know I am, and I believe in myself. But, I mean, at times I know an issue will come up that I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. So what am I going to do? I reach out to somebody that does know that. And it's admitting that you don't freaking know everything. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm not a failure at that. You know, It doesn't mean I'm a failure as a coach because I don't know how to fix this one thing. I just don't know it yet. So what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to somebody who can teach me that. You know, it's okay to suck at something. It's okay to not know everything and not be the best at everything. And to to basically lose right there as long as you do something to better that. Right, you know? yeah. I mean, you, you're just going to lose. I mean, this comes back to the whole, we had a big conversation about, 
the whole everybody wins thing, you know, that's going through schools now. It's like, all right, okay, we're having field day. Everybody gets a first place mm. ribbon. And it's like, you know, and, and the, the whole thing came up, well, well, Johnny, who won, is going to quit because Jimmy, who didn't even try, got the same ribbon. Says, no, Johnny will keep going because Johnny's a competitor. Johnny knows he won. But little Jimmy might not. You know, little Jimmy just realizes, hey, I got a, I got a first place medal too. It cheapens it. You know, it there's, there's no okay comparison for these people. They have people have to learn to lose. And what do they learn from losing? If you want to win, you got to get better. You, know? yeah, you don't get it handed to you. You know, you know right? yeah, it's okay to to lose and to get up and okay decide. Do I want to be better at this? And if you don't want to be better at this, that's fine. Like lifting, I mean, powerlifting, whatever. It's okay if it's just not your thing. But sorry, you didn't win. You're you're not winning just for showing up. So, I mean, yeah. if you want to get better at this, you have to make a cognitive decision. Okay, I'm going to do what it takes to get better. And, and how do you do that? You reach out to those people that beat you. You know, there's a reason I traveled all over the freaking world. It was to learn and get better at the things I sucked at. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, I think there's also like uh, what I would consider your salient identity, your main sport versus well, you're doing other stuff and you're taking it seriously and you want to compare and and be competitive and but you know what I mean? Like if I were to do try something like a strongman event, mm-hmm. I'm not going to beat myself up that I'm not one of the superstars in that event. Yes. You know, I'm doing it because it's a blast and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm going to try to beat everybody, you know. Yes. But, oh yeah, you you're going to try your hardest for sure. But not be, you know, yeah, it's it's sort of like what level of value do attach maybe. Yes. So And that's that's the deal. I mean, and that's I deal with that with I was talking to a client the other day. I mean and I have to separate it myself and my clients. You know, I have clients that are very driven, like very goal oriented at high lofty goals. You know, I wanna do this, I wanna reach I wanna, you know, win this competition. I wanna go to the American Open, I wanna go to the freaking Olympics, whatever. Um, and then I have others that that's not their thing and that's okay. You know, and I just have to put them on different, not pedestals, but we treat them different ways, of course, because, you know, my person that just wants to be in shape, it doesn't mean I give them less attention. I give them different attention. You know, you're going to train differently. If you're sick and you're gone for a week, fine. If my person that's getting ready for this is sick and gone for a week, we got to do something. You know, we got to get off your ass. It's time to get in here, you know? And but that's okay. I mean, it, it's figuring out what you want, what you're willing to give, and and what you're willing to put in. Well, isn't that so. funny? I think so much. Like we talk about all the nuances of training and programming and everything else, but it all comes back to the person's initial forming of a goal. You mm-hmm. know, like we were talking about changing your goals. You're like you're going to take boxing pretty freaking seriously for the next several months you know i mean is it going to replace powerlifting in your life identity probably not yeah but you're going to still take it very seriously you know and uh, but i think those initial goals need a lot more thought you know who am i going to compare myself to uh including like a mentor or who's in my local gym or a guy on a magazine cover, those comparisons help you form the right kind of goal, a realistic, quantitative, time-oriented goal, you know, mm-hmm. and without, I just, sometimes it blows me away that people are like, well, it depends on your goals, and we almost just blow past this, like, the goal is formed very flippantly, like, I want to get big and ripped, and then we we develop all this complicated programming and everything around mm-hmm. a pretty sloppy goal. Yeah. I I don't know. So. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, and that comes back to 
in the fitness world at least, that comes back to your coach or your trainer and this and that. I, I think, think it's so, yeah. the first thing you need to do is just sit down and have an honest conversation about where do you want to go. And then that person, if they're telling you that, yeah, well, I'll get you to Mr. Olympia, you know, well, don't lie to them. If you want to take them to Mr. Olympia, okay, you need to have a real honest conversation about what are you willing to do. You know, there's there's two different states. There's a there's a big difference in between. I want to go to a local Olympic lifting meet and be competitive. In between, hey, dude, I want to compete at the international level. Well, two different things. You know, exactly. What are you willing to give up? You're going to have a lot of time away from your family, a lot of time away from your friends. Your world is going to revolve around Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Yes, right. So I actually had a young man when I was in Minnesota in the in the gym. He's like, I want to be a pro bodybuilder. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa Tex. You know, <laughs> work your work your way through some uh, state and regional level stuff. Maybe yeah. start with a, a local show that's not a national qualifier. See, you know, test the waters there. I mean, there's several levels, and I don't know exactly if there's parallels in powerlifting or strongman. But at least in bodybuilding, there's a lot of layers that you work your way through. Yeah. You know, and um, his goal is it's fun to look at the pros and compare yourself and be motivated by that. But, yeah, that's not a good goal right now. That's a good goal 10 years from now, yeah. you know. But Yeah, and I think a lot of those people get too anxious initially and almost impatient, right? And then they just sort of fade away, too. And, I mean, I like the word intention a little bit better than goal. I mean, I understand when people say goals, but... I think the thing that to be careful with, especially, is if they don't make it by X date at X time, that they then don't view themselves as a failure. So, like the story I told before, is a client who wanted to lose ten pounds. I think it was by March first. Ends up losing nine pounds, and then she's all mad that she missed her goal when she made it. You know, ninety percent of the way there. Mm-hmm. So I think you know having a, like Phil was saying, having an intention of a direction you want to go. I think is a little bit better. You know, have some rough time frame on it. I think that's fine. But sometimes, especially I've noticed with clients who are very, very type A, very, very driven, that if they don't make it exactly, mm-hmm. that they have this period of sometimes several weeks where they actually start regressing just because they feel that they're a failure now. And most of the time they, they made quite a bit of progress. And then also in addition to that, making sure that they know their starting point. And I, I got burned on this years ago. I, I took an online client, and he's like, oh, I want to get my squat to 365. I'm like, okay, cool. I said, where's your squat now? He's like, ah, oh, 315. So I'm like, okay. And I knew enough to at least get a starting video. And what I found out later is his squat was only like 235. Oh. I eventually told him, mm-hmm. I said, I don't give a crap if you can only squat the bar. I, I really don't care. I just need an accurate Objective. thing to determine where you are now. Yeah. Um, but his ego wouldn't let him, you know, sort of give that up. Obviously, didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of times people think they're a little bit farther ahead oh, yeah. than where they actually are. And that sets them up for failure in the future when they don't mm-hmm. make it. And they just started, you know, the program's off and everything's off. Well, that's where comparisons can be valuable because you can – when you're externally compared to others by a powerlifting judge or a bodybuilding judge and – you know, I, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be necessarily in the gym because in just regular training in the gym, you run the risk of, <laughs> you're awesome, bro, huge lats, bro, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> never – never really fairly compared and i think that's one mm-hmm. of the things maybe that competition does do 
uh, is allow those comparisons. Now, once you've got enough experience under your belt and you've seen different levels, you've, you've educated yourself, I think you can start to compare yourself to past performances or you can – objectively realistically look at someone else and say that was a successful squat what i'm doing is is not that <laughs> you know and and that, oh, yeah. that sort of thing. i mean what mike was talking about with goal setting and i mean one of the biggest things is finding an honest map of where you are and where you want to go yeah. yeah and a lot of people do mess up everybody knows what they want to do <laughs> and everybody wants to be superman you know but uh <laughs> most people mess up on the honest you know evaluation of where i am now you know, just like the even in bodybuilding, you know, yeah, I'm probably 10 percent. No, you're 17. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> wake yeah. up. Quit lying to yourself. You're not helping, you know. And yeah, that's right. It's just like lying about your, your lifts. I mean, if you're a 225 squatter, that's OK. Just realize that. Now we just need to get you to 245. You know, it's figure out exactly where you are, figure out where you want to go. And now we can make a map. And, you know, if we never make it there, great. I mean, that's like how many years have people on here been listening to me try for 800? Yeah. A lot of years. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm going into hip surgery, and I didn't make it yet. But, damn it, I made it close, and I made it a lot farther than not trying. And will I ever? I don't know. That's right. Who uh, knows? Who knows? The I, yeah. I, I got to reevaluate in a year from now and see what this new hunk of metal feels like. Right. I don't know. But I'm, am I beat up over that? No, I had a hell of a fun time trying, and I made it a lot further than most people. I mean, how many people out there can say yeah. they they picked 800 up to mid-thigh with no belt? I don't know if anybody can. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of people that p- pulled beltless. But, I mean, I beat 99% of you out there, so I'm okay with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Did I want to hit 800? Do I still wish? Yeah, but I'm not, like, crying in the corner over it. Yeah. So well, we'll it, see what you know, the new titanium uh, inserts can do for you. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> you know, you never know. I mean, Ed Cohn just posted up a video yesterday. He was doing like six fifty for speed doubles on oh deadlift. Oh my god! Wow. And he's got the same exact hip I'm getting. So I mean, you never know. Yeah. See, I there's mean, a comparison. Would, you know. Yeah. Right. And of course, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. I talk about. I I called up Ed freaking Friday, and then it was like, hey man, what did you do? For recovery because this nurse has no clue <laughs> right <laughs> she's like asking me if i'm doing my hip circles and i'm just telling her yeah because i actually went in and squatted 450 and then did 77 reps at 225 so yeah my hips are strong I you know so. i didn't do your hip circles though so <laughs> <laughs> right i, didn't do I your need somebody else <laughs> <laughs> right you know. right do clamshell <clears throat> yeah so all right guys well we are i think we're just about out of time let me make a really quick comment here uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Mark and Max, who, uh, who made some uh, donations to help, you know, keep the lights on, pay the server and whatnot. So thank you, Mark, and thank you, Max. You know who you are. And also a quick uh, note about next week, um, we have planned. I don't often, you know, suggest what's going to be next week, but right now, uh, if it's not next week, it's coming up soon. We're going to have Mike Walker on. He's an Olympic lifter who had stem cells injected into his spine. He had a degenerated spine, and um, his story is very interesting. We've all heard stem cells are going to change medicine. I'm amazed uh, about his story and how he's back to training. Uh, he's actually he's, he's very good, and he's he says he's targeting the 2020 Olympic Games, which is wow. phenomenal. So we'll, we'll get a hold of him uh, here in the early summer months. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yep. Later.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.